is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. With me today, thank you all for listening. With me today is actually the pastor of Grace Long Beach. You all thought I was going to say Bowcroft Bible Church, didn't you? <laughs> Grace Long Beach, his uh, name is Pastor Seymour Helliger. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Thank you for joining me. Uh, even though our time difference is uh, is three hours, I appreciate you uh, adjusting your schedule to meet with me. So no I just, problem. yeah, man. So I just, I'm just going to get right into it and, and ask you this question. Uh, uh, as far as Grace Long Beach, uh, it, what do you all do for Black History Month? Yeah, at Grace Community Church of Long Beach, uh, what we do for Black History Month is normally what we do every month. Um, it's to determine to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, we believe that within uh, human history, uh, the, the grand theme of all history is the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, to leave that platform and to, to discuss men's faint and fleeting achievements uh, really does not give the, the congregation or the church substance. Hmm. I, w- I would say, secondly, it's just not our calling. Uh, we would use history as an illustration, but it's not the outline for the sermon. Hmm. It's not the heartbeat of the sermon. It's not the worship of the congregation. It's, it's solely, strictly we gather to glorify God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of his spirit. Um, and when we do so, we speak English and we speak the scriptures. And then I'm reminded what the scripture says in First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 14, that if an unbeliever hears us uttering the words of Christ, speaking the words of Christ, it says that he's going to actually be convinced and convicted that God is with us. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way to convict and convince someone's conscience that God is with us apart from declaring Christ. Mm-hmm. My other point is that whenever we talk about people and events, it distracts the congregation from their greatest need mm-hmm. is to know Christ even more. Mm-hmm. There is, I would say, a famine of true biblical preaching and then throughout the week, the congregation may, may or may not be motivated to hear more preaching or draw nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of time. I mean, this is a matter of eternity. Right. So I'd rather dwell on the eternal things that matter the most, that they need the most, that God is going to judge me for the most, which leads me to my fifth point. Mm-hmm. God is not going to judge me uh, for my fidelity to a month. Hmm. Black history, black mystery. You know, whiteness month, Confederate month, whatever it may, he's going to judge me based on my faithfulness in declaring the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So that is my answer. Well, that probably wasn't the answer that a lot of people were expecting. I kind of expected that. Uh, and I asked that question for the purpose of, you know, just just making it, you know, known. Um, what is the purpose of focusing on the skin color of the people that are in your church what is the focus of that and or the culture that you have you know i would imagine that like you all you know pre-covid have like fellowships and you know hanging out and maybe someone who was from a different country 
might bring, you know, some sort of dish that is from that country. And maybe there was be, you know, would be some conversation about that. Uh, but to, to magnify the idea of, of, of your skin color, you know, I would imagine that you all wouldn't do that. And I appreciate your, your clarity, uh, one, because of the fact that you are literally stating the fact that this is literally about Christ, not about anything else. You know, I appreciate that. Um, now, as far as the, um, the content of what you do, um, uh, what you did, I would say, uh, on your, your podcast. And I would definitely encourage anybody who's listening to, uh, go and find this podcast and subscribe to it. Um, can you kind of explain your podcast and the premise of that podcast? Cause I, I would try to do it, but I wouldn't do it justice because you're the one that's actually doing it. So it'd probably be best coming from you. Yeah. It's called the pastor soapbox for, a, you know, maybe at least one or two reasons. One of them is, uh, I, I am able to, maybe have extended conversations on a topic that I will not normally address on Sunday extensively, mm -hmm. like the MLK junior dethroning him. It's not a Sunday sermon for me. Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't deserve the pulpit for any reason. He didn't deserve to preach on the pulpit. Then he doesn't deserve to be heard on the pulpit now. Okay. But I think it's a very important topic to have because he has infiltrated the church over the years. You have false heretical I would say unregenerate men like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, who are called reverends. Mm -hmm. And uh, so because he has affected the urban church in, in such a negative way, I believe it was important to um, address it. So I use uh, the pastor's soapbox for situations like that mm -hmm. as to why it is there. And then it, which is extended to that, the second point is, which is attached to the first one, just to have a biblical view on those things. Mm -hmm to have a, an impartial analysis of whatever that topic may be. And the only impartial analyses that we can do has to be the word of God addressing uh, that circumstance, that person, that personality, that topic. And so that's really what the pastor soapbox is for. Mm -hmm. It's to have a biblical view as we look at these particular issues, events, or even significant personalities. Mm -hmm. Now, in the same breath, I'm going to kind of skip my questions then because I need to ask this question now. Um, in that podcast uh, that, in, that you're referencing, your, your last one, uh, which is the throning, the throning MLK, uh, you said something that really kind of sparked my attention. Um, and we've talked about it a little bit, but I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it and let you kind of, you know, let that, that point breathe a little bit. Uh, you said the social gospel is the mother of the modern day social justice movement. Um, are you able to, can you, um, can you explain that? Like what exactly you were saying when you, uh, cause you, you kind of gave a little bit of an explanation, but you know, uh, let this be your pastor's soapbox and just that particular point kind of, kind of flesh that out a little bit for me. Yeah. All of those movements, they're really interrelated. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, the social gospel movement was, was really birthed in Germany. And uh, it was in the, the late 1800s, but mostly the, the early 1900s. Mm -hmm. And so it, it uh, transferred from Germany to New York. Mm -hmm. And then in, in New York, it, it took off. And what you had there was you had a convergence, though, which is really interesting. You, you had a convergence of false conversions under Finney. 
mm-hmm. which that was the eve of, of Finney's movement in the New York Rochester area. Well, you had false conversions there. So then in order to maintain your salvation, you need to have some kind of works righteousness. And then you, you had not only the false conversions, but um, you had a, a questioning of this, the Bible's authority. So those who promoted the social justice did, did not believe in inspiration as we believed in inspiration right? or social gospel. So those social gospel proponents didn't believe in inspiration. They believed in inerrancy. They questioned the Bible using various theories. Mm-hmm. So from that it was more of an emphasis of, of ethics, um, that Christian ethics is the thing. And the new gospel was based on, you know, doing our good deeds. So the, the social justice movement is really a spinoff from that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it finds its roots uh, in uh, the social gospel movement, which began in New York. And then Dr. Martin Luther King followed these men because they're what we call liberal theologians or liberal pastors. So now you can't be liberal and a pastor. So these men were unbelievers. Mm. And uh, Dr. Martin Luther King adopted their beliefs, I believe, primarily because it, it pushes the agenda that he was looking for. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I, I know that there's the history of, well, we, we were not invited to these seminaries. But, you know, going to a seminary doesn't make you a sound exegete, no more than a horse going to a garage makes it a car. Mm-hmm. There have been several faithful um, seminaries who trained men to become atheists. Mm. It wasn't their goal. But these men left these conservative institutions not believing in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we were to say that because people of my ethnicity didn't have access to these seminaries, well, what do we do? What what do we do with the people who are in the charismatic movements and they're Anglo, they're Caucasian people? Mm-hmm. They had access to conservative seminaries. Right. Why are they so left of center? Mm-hmm. And so the the solution for the issue uh, it was not the seminaries. Um, nor was it the churches per se. It, it was the clear articulation of the gospel. And on the flip side, there were men who attended liberal seminaries and became stronger in their convictions in the infallibility of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So the point I'm making, men like Dr. Martin Luther King, it wasn't the inaccessible, inaccessibility, inaccessibility to the, the conservative seminaries that was a problem. It was that these men were unregenerate. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter where you send an unregenerate man. Um, it's like trying to send your unbelieving, you know, young adult children to a Christian college. They will not be saved because they went to a Christian college. Now, they can hear the gospel. That may be true, but that doesn't guarantee their salvation. Mm-hmm. I think we have to look deeper. And in the heart of men like Martin Luther King, he wanted liberation. He wanted um, his people to, to uh, receive reparations. Uh, in fact, in one of his speeches, he said, standing against imprisonment or um, you know, um, equality in, in restaurants or, you know, riding in the same bus as a white man. He says, that's not enough. He said, I, I need men who, who believe um, that racism needs to end. They need to stand with me for reparations. Hmm. So the point I'm making is that his social justice movement was attached to the social gospel because that is the social gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 19, I think it was 08 or 09, and I did read it on the podcast, they had a, they had a creed. And if you read the social gospels creed, it is no different 
from the social justice movement. The reason is, is because the social justice movement, its mother is a social gospel. And Martin Luther King adopted it solely for the purpose of advancing his cause. It had nothing to do with the fact that he didn't have access to the gospel. It's that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. sinfully and knowingly rejected the gospel because it would not have advanced his social causes. Now, you're, you, I want you to kind of, um, kind of define the terms. We've talked a lot about the social justice, but what struck me about that comment was you were saying the social gospel was the mother of the social justice movement. And the first thing that came to my mind was it was kind of like the pointing back of like how this is the first thing that came to my mind. So it's like I would see like the black community back in the 60s. They would be rallying and the rallying point would be like the church. So from that, I can tell, you know, I can I can see like the social justice movement kind of coming from that. But kind of give me a definition of specifically what like the social gospel is like, what is because obviously you said it before, you know, we've we've said it before on on this podcast that just like justice, the gospel definitely does not need an an adjective adjective. So so what is it like kind of give me like and obviously it's going to be you know, uh, 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 it's a worldly thing. You know, it's, it's not a, a thing that, it, that we would consider Christian or biblical, the social gospel, but kind of give us a definition of what the social gospel is. Yeah. In, in essence, the social gospel, its belief system is structured in how the church can benefit society. Ultimately it's, it's not freedom from sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not freedom from condemnation because the social gospel proponents did not believe in the atonement. They did not believe in the supernatural. Hmm. Um, they did not believe in the virgin birth. So the social gospel took on a different personality. It, it was focused on societal's problems and they felt like the sins were in society, lack of material benefits, uh, lack of uh, fair justice, mm-hmm. equities lacking. So it was really a different gospel okay. because it, it, it was an undoing of certain critical belief systems when it comes to the inspiration of scripture, the supernatural, which once again, Dr. Martin Luther King adopted those principles from the social gospel. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was just diametrically opposed to what we would think the gospel is. It was, it was the good news for society and the good news for society was food, bread, water, and a house. It, it wasn't Christ. Hmm. Okay. And ironically, f- food, bread, water, and a house being like the savior. Is that what you're saying? Like that is wh- how they're going to get over or, you know, because we haven't talked about this idea of struggle because the, yeah. sh- the struggle is like inherently what is like deeply rooted into what you we, we would consider like black culture. Like we're always trying to get over the struggle. So are you saying that like the social gospel was pretty much the answer to the struggle or it was how people were able to persevere? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I would say it's both. And it's, okay. it's uh, like Jesus Christ is the solution to our earthly struggles. He sent the church to fulfill that. So Amen. the social gospel movement became the great commission hmm. and the great commission was to meet the material needs. Hmm. Um, so uh, there's a there's an excerpt from uh, the, the the social gospel creed. It, it says that 
but to the toilers of America and to those who by organized effort are seeking to lift the crushing burdens of the poor. So it's no longer the burden of sin and to reduce the hardships and uphold the dignity of labor. Um, this council sends the greeting and then listen to what it says of human brotherhood and the pledge of sympathy and of help in the cause which belongs to all who follow Christ. Hmm. And of course the following Christ in discipleship is not the same as what they're saying here. It, it is not a life of sacrificial service of worship, sanctification for the risen savior because they didn't live in the resurrection. So it became very humanistic. And also under the, even under the umbrella of, of the social gospel music, uh, movement, um, universalism received this prominence. So you have several spinoffs from the social gospel. You have universalism. Now, can you, um, you, have can you explain what universalism is? I'm sorry, I, I just want to make sure we define yeah. it. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no problem. Well, when obviously when you look at the universalism and, and, and its overall structure, mm -hmm. um, it it almost sees the cosmic universe as God. Um, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't hold to the existence of the true and the living God. Mm -hmm. And then with universalism comes uh, just liberal beliefs that God loves me as I am. Mm -hmm. So there's there's no true gospel. There's no true, true salvation. There's no true sanctification. So universalism is, when you think of the social gospel, it's very, they're very similar in their beliefs. So, hey, if you just do good, um, Jesus Christ was a good man, was a good example. Uh, all of those things fit under the social gospel and, and universalism. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay. Man, it, 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 it sounds like it's just a cheapening of what Christ did on the cross. Because it's like, if, if Christ loves you as you are, what's, well, if God loves you as you are, what was the purpose of Christ even coming to the earth? Was it just for, you know, our, our, our pleasure, like just us to see somebody else do, you know, the things that we don't think is like, kind of like a, a person just to look up to, you know, it's like a role model. I mean, it, that's what it, it really sounds like to me versus him yeah. being the savior and the uh, propitiator uh, of God's wrath. You know what I mean? That's exactly what it is, brother. It's, you know, the reason why a lot of these movements have similarities because once, uh, once you attack the atonement and it's no longer substitutionary, that means Christ died as my substitute. Mm -hmm. um, if you if you have the model theory of atonement, which is what they adopt and what you just talked about, mm -hmm. the model theory of atonement is that Christ was the example of, of what it means to obey the Father what it means to sacrifice. It, it is not that uh, in the atonement, Christ bore the wrath of the father for my sin because they, they do not believe uh, that uh, we have inherited sin under our federal head, which is the first Adam. So if we're not sinners in, in and through the first Adam, um, th th this, this belief system will say that we have enough good in us to respond to God. Mm -hmm. um, so universalism and Martin Luther King's teachings are very similar because, as I said before, King believed that we all have a divine spark in, we all have uh, a, the light in us, we just need a divine spark to get us going. So he didn't see depravity as what it is. In fact, he would say that um, what Luther and Calvin went through was just a product of their time. And so a lot of their writings was based on what they experienced, not mm -hmm. the scripture. Mm -hmm. So to him, radical depravity or total depravity, where we are, we're completely, totally unable to respond to God with righteous deeds that's pleasing to him, that every part of us has been affected by sin and infected by sin, 
he doesn't believe that. Universalism holds similar positions too. It, it doesn't see in the, that the essence of humanity is totally depraved. Um, and so he, he would adopt the same principle. So when you see LGBTQIA plus ad infinitum added to civil rights, we may think, well, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. won't be happy. Actually, he'll be pleased, pleased with it because everyone was inherently good in his eyes. Hmm. So very similar to universalism. Mm -hmm. And the only reason why I bring these things up and people say, well, you know, it's not his fault. No, he's culpable. Uh, you know, please don't tell me the white man did it. That doesn't stand in judgment. <laughs> right. um, Martin Luther King, just like I, we're going to have to give an account to God for the deeds that we've done in our body. It, blame shifting doesn't work because the scripture says um, in Romans chapter one, that, that God has revealed himself to everyone in, in, in creation. There's a sufficient light of the knowledge of God, his divine attributes, his power in creation, personal that there's a creator, not just a God, a creator who exists. Mm -hmm. And with that light of truth, it doesn't save us, but it's sufficient for us to know that, that something is missing. We need to know him. But because we have despised the knowledge of God, we have rejected this revelation. We're all in this predicament that we're in. Here, th th that's why we, we need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But the scripture says that we're all culpable, not because of what someone else has done to us, but because of the sin nature that we have inherited and that we cleave and cling on to and we love and that we crave to fulfill those sins. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I hold him culpable is because, you know, as, as much as my urban counterparts or my en enemies, they become my enemies because they've chosen <laughs> me as their enemy. Right. I love them as to why I say that. I believe he has single-handedly caused much harm in the church, the urban churches. He's misled them. Um, he lied to them. His whole agenda was not for Christ because he didn't believe in the biblical Christ. He believed in the social Christ. And so he had a social gospel that was ge geared to a society, not the Messiah, not the Savior. Mm -hmm. and, and, and because of that, you can have a universal church celebrating him, a Catholic church celebrating him, a Baptist church celebrating him. It's because he had a universal message and it wasn't a universal message of the gospel. Mm -hmm. It was a universal social message mm -hmm. that was what is appetizing for those who didn't honor the truth. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, yeah, that is, uh, that's good. That's good stuff. That's good info too. Um, I kind of, I had one more question, but uh, as you were talking, I, I came up with another question and this will lead into the last question. Hopefully, maybe um, this question, you said, you said this, you said you can't be liberal and be a pastor. Uh, can you kind of give me, you know, some, some, uh, <laughs> you know, you'll flesh that point out there. Cause I'm very interested in, in your, your mindset when you, when you say something like that. Okay. I, I do want to look at a scripture because I think, uh, that's going to help set the foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, someone who's a pastor, according to scripture, is going to faithfully handle the word of truth. So mm -hmm. we look at the, these epistles that uh, we would say were, were focused uh, on, on pastors like Titus chapter one. Mm -hmm. um, it says that if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife in Titus one verse six, as children who are believers are faithful and not open to charge of debauchery and subordination. And he says that he explains it in verse seven, even more for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. In other words, he can't be called out. Mm -hmm cannot be accused and and i mean he, accusations may come up but those accusations must be refuted and seen as baseless 
He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And then verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Hmm. Verse 9 to me is very key summary that if you do not hold faithfully to the doctrine as it was handed to you, then you are not qualified to preach the word of God. And any departure from core doctrines of the faith. So we'll say, we'll just bring up a few. The word of God is, is God-breathed, it's inspired. In other words, we, we, we know that there, there's a dual authorship. You have the human author, then you have the divine author, the Holy Spirit, who moved upon these men to write using their personalities, their thoughts, their knowledge, but to pen the pages of scripture without error. Mm -hmm. We hold that that is true. That is 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 15 and 16. It says all scriptures is God breathed, or 16 and 17, that is. So if we hold to that truth, then that's a core doctrine. Um, another core belief uh, that uh, uh, someone who holds firm to the word of God must hold fast to is, is the incarnation, that is, the Son of God, one person, two natures. He's truly God, truly man. That union is a supernatural one. That is essential. Um, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is an essential uh, doctrine. Uh, the doctrine of sin, that all have sinned, all need of the Lord Jesus Christ, all were dead in sin. Um, those, are, those are doctrines, and it's just a few. The reason why I brought them up is because those are the very things that most liberal are in ministry would hold to. That includes Dr. King. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead. You uh, went out for a second, but I think you're back. Okay. So... If you don't hold to those doctrines, then you are you're on that side of the liberal because the liberal theologians and and that was birthed out of Germany with the higher critics. The first thing they would attack is is uh, the inspiration of scripture that will say, well, we have science that refutes the word of God. But if we know science is science is based on on theories that have to be proven. And, and uh, every 10, 15 years, you have to actually revise your science books because they found inaccuracies and they had to change it after more research. Wow. So for, for someone to say that that science uh, testifies against the scripture, they obviously have not seen the multiple additions that we've made over the years. And it wasn't just to change a few letters that were misspelled. It was to change just a series of tests that were proven to be faulty. Mm -hmm. um, these are the men who would say, well, science now is a new thing, and, and therefore it's not a literal seven-day creation. Or six-day, I'm sorry, it's a literal six-day creation. Once again, that's a core doctrine. Mm -hmm. um, we can't be theistic evolutionists, you know, where we say, well, yes, God did create, but things kind of happened over the years and God was somewhat involved. That's, that's kind of the summary of theistic evolutionary thinking. Mm -hmm. Or someone who thinks in, in evolutionary terms has, God's not in it at all. It just big bang, boom, and it happened. Mm -hmm. You know, bang, your eye sockets on your knee <laughs> and your hips on your forehead. Right. 
I mean, it, obviously it's, it's a fallacious position, but it is true. There's some who do not believe in a literal creation and it comes from the higher critics who, who would question the word of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're in that position, I would say that as a liberal pastor, you're not a real pastor, you're a false teaching. And I, I would say, certainly you're not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, you cannot deny the tenets of the faith and be saved. It's just not possible. Remember in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, um, even when we talk about creation, mm-hmm. uh, the scripture says in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, somewhere around verse four, but I'll go to it because it says by faith. Mm-hmm. Verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It means it is in essence, it, it takes the gift of faith that God gives to us to actually believe in creation. Mm -hmm. So if you don't believe in creation, as scripture says, then you're not saved. You don't have the gift of faith, so you are not saved. So liberal pastors aren't believers. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Okay. And I think my my final question would be, you know, in light of, you know, kind of, you know, (laughs) the the color of our skin, I would say, uh, it's, it's always this assumption that we believe and think and do and profess a certain way uh and you know hearing what you're saying and then you know actually that last question that you answered uh very well you know not being a you know being a liberal and being a pastor doesn't mix how did you personally come to uh your you know your way of thinking and your 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 conclusion about scripture one and i would i'm i'm you haven't said this but I'm going to kind of summarize what you said that scripture is sufficient. It's all sufficient for everything. Cause I remember uh, hearing you talk, you know, in the podcast, you were saying that, and then, you know, earlier in this podcast that, you know, they're coming to the conclusion that it, that the scripture isn't, isn't authoritative. It's not sufficient. You know, what made you personally come to this conclusion and, uh, also, uh, using the, the, the words of, of scripture saying, snatching them out of the fire and, and Jude, like what would be our approach to that? How did you get there? What is our approach to actually get, uh, highly melanated people to, uh, think the correct way about scripture? Yeah, brother. Um, we consider this one for a while because this is a very important question, critical mm-hmm. question. I don't really like to talk about my personal experience too much, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's a good testimony of God's grace if I do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was born in the island of Nevis. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, I ended up in the island of Nevis due to slavery, or at least my ancestors, mm-hmm. right? Uh, slavery was that we, we lived there as a byproduct of it. So uh, for our affliction, God let us live in a, a, a pre- what can we say? A pre-paradise-like environment. Yeah. So you know, what well, intended for evil, God meant for good. Hmm. Not only salvation, but we're talking about a tropical island. I mean, <laughs> you leaving me in exile in an island, right? Nothing but sun and coconuts, right? <laughs> Praise God. I mean, that's. I mean, why am I complaining about slavery? Right, right. Obviously, those before me suffered greatly mm-hmm. at the hands of, of of evil men, and let me just insert this. Uh, quickly that if you think about men like john newton john newton was a slave trader but people don't realize not all people realize he was also a slave really 
Yes. The guy that wrote Amazing Grace, right? Yes. Really? Yes. Slavery was a common thing in his time. Gotcha. Okay. And and it it was a it was an act of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem with some my ethnicity. They think they were the targeted people, and they were not. It is just it it seeks the path of least resistance. It mm-hmm. conquers as simplistically as it can. It's op- slavery is opportunistic. It's, mm-hmm. it's not strategic. Mm-hmm. It's opportunistic. And if we don't have the right categories when we look at it, we think that that the history of slavery, and we were we received the worst treatment. But John Newton, and I read this in a book called Heroes by Ian Murray. Heroes by Ian Murray, which I would suggest is a good book because he also wrote about someone. I think his last name's Colquitt, who um, was a, a plantation owner, but he preached the gospel. Many people were saved there. Hmm. So his book was very helpful. But Newton was caught in slavery, and and his father had to to lobby to get him out of it. But after the Lord saved him, he realized just how evil slavery was. And that's really, that's really the, the crux. That's the question. That's, that's the conundrum to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Salvation in Christ, brother, it, it alters our perspective on adversity and human cruelty. Uh, it, it gives us this, this, this Joseph-like philosophy of life and, and man's evil intentions in Genesis 50, 20, what you've intended for evil, God meant for good. Mm-hmm. It, it sees redemption through the marred, evil, wicked schemes of man in slavery. It sees God rescuing sinners. And this is something to think about. This was the chief means that God used to save sinners. Because when we think of the glory of God, we think of the glory of God also in redemption, which means that it was, it was uh, as evil as it was, God used it to rescue sinners from hell mm-hmm. and to give them eternal life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that truth came alive to me as I looked at the doctrines of grace, because underneath the doctrine, beside the doctrine, above the doctrine, behind the doctrine, before the doctrine is the sovereignty of God. And that to me was like the, the X factor in 2009 when I had my personal reformation. Just hearing the gospel, going through the scriptures, learning about the character and the nature of God, his sovereignty resolved so much of it. Hmm. And it's not my duty to have an answer for everything. It's not my duty to, to know the, the nuances and the ins and outs and the intricacies. But what frees me is that, that God is good and he does good. And even when man plots evil schemes and he pursues my demise and he hates me and uh, he ridicules me, which I'm receiving some of that now from people of my own ethnicity mm-hmm. because of my stance, I know that God is with me. Roman says that God is for me. Um, it, is, it is the doctrines, brother, the scripture that liberated me, no, nothing else. Mm-hmm. Knowing who God is, knowing who I am, Knowing who I am in Christ and my identity in Christ, that was a liberating factor. Hmm. What is happening in so many of our churches today and in some of our church conferences, which I went to one a few years ago, so where it really set me off. I don't want to be another voice, you know, in this. I, I didn't ask to do this. I didn't want to do this. But I went to the conference at T4G Brother and I sat down and they assaulted me with, with lies. Um, they, they told me that Martin Luther King was a reputable theologian to read. That, I was offended. Hmm. 
That's not the Christ I know. This is T4G, Together for the Gospel. It was everything but that. Was that the Martin Luther King 50-year uh, one, or it's just a regular T4G? Uh, the, the Gospel Coalition did the 50th okay. anniversary. Okay. And, and that, one, that one was straight up woke. <laughs> All right. T4G was half sleep woke. Mm. You know, when you're sleeping and you're half asleep, they were half woke. Mm-hmm. But half woke and, and full woke is just sinfully woke. Yeah. I went to the half woke one, which was just as woke. And, you know, I see these men, David Platt and Ligon Duncan, and they're just talking about their a heart of racism. I'm like, well, I, first of all, I don't see racism in the Bible concordance. Mm-hmm. I don't see it in the Greek or the Hebrew. I just see one race, mm-hmm. which we have to, as Christians, be clear. Racism is a myth because races is a myth. Mm-hmm. It is a social construct. It is not a theological construct, nor is it a biological construct, which means biologically, we cannot be divided into race because we have too much in common. You know, the race thing really came from uh, Darwin's, how he evaluated anim- animals. But unfortunately, in his book, he left it open for humans because he saw us as species also. Right. But it was really a way to categorize animals. And that got transferred into the human society. Mm-hmm. The point that I want to add is this. Whenever you add evolution, revolution, CRT, CRT light, as our brothers uh, from <laughs> Just Thinking Podcast would say, mm-hmm. intersectionality and traffic jams into the gospel, you're going to have problems like this mm-hmm. because you have just usurped the final authority of the all-sufficient word of God. And when you apply something that should be a social construct to a theological argument, mm-hmm. you're arguing from the point of an atheist, not a biblicist. Mm-hmm. And I think a part of the issue that we have is that we are, we're using the same words, but the meanings are adjusted. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I will use a raw meaning. Someone from CRT would use an adjusted meaning. And the reason why we do this is because our heart is already bent toward being twisted. We twist the scriptures anyway. Mm-hmm. We will certainly twist the, the meaning of a word to accommodate our argument. Mm-hmm. But whenever you use ungodly terms that are rooted in, not rooted in creation, but evolution, uh, then we're always going to be talking over each other. Mm-hmm. It is only when the gospel and the word of God speaks to the issue of the human race and the common problem of partiality and we use biblical terms to describe the sins that the scriptures expose, then, then we'll make progress. Mm-hmm. But going back to your question, brother, it's really coming to understanding who God is, his sovereignty, his rule, and seeing that what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Mm-hmm. Now, you may not have had this question, but I guess I'll just ask it rhetorically. I don't want to moderate the program, brother, but <laughs> this, this, this question always comes up. You know, well, I mean... They're responsible, aren't they? Aren't they culpable? Aren't they culpable for what they've done? Absolutely. But I don't really see uh, people of my ethnicity pressing for culpability. I see bitterness. Hmm. I see vengeance. And in fact, when I just mentioned critical race theory, I don't want to get into it too much, obviously, mm-hmm. but just those three words already really non-biblical. Mm-hmm. Critical, race, 
in theory. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I can't use it. It's just not compatible with the scripture because there's nothing compatible with those three words in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because your critique is for you to keep critiquing. It's not an analysis. Right. It's it's not analytical. Yeah. Right. It's it's critical. Mm -hmm. So which means that I I can't use it as a tool. It's an implement. Mm. It's an implement of destruction, not a tool of instruction, Mm -hmm. because it's, it's whole premise is to attack society, it's to wound others, it's to harm others, it's to attack their character, it's to assassinate their hope. Mm -hmm. And that's just not compatible with my gospel Mm -hmm. of the Lord Jesus Christ, the saving message, the one that God used to open my eyes and for me to see my sin at a young age and Examine my heart and realize that I need a savior. Mm-hmm. It's not compatible with the good news that liberated me and rescued me and sanctified me, justified me, and in the future will glorify me. Mm-hmm. So when someone says, what about culpability? Um, the culpability, we trust the Lord that justice will be served, but we know everyone's going to have a day before the judgment seat of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that seat is going to write all the wrongs. Revelation says that, right? You, you have the saints in Revelation who were beheaded for the gospel, and they're praying, well, how long? He says, well, do you know what? The angel says, well, a few more, you're going to have to get your heads cut off mm-hmm. before we exercise judgment, but it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, the Christians resolve. Well, okay, well, how to resolve Romans? I love Romans chapter 12 because this is a living sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? Verse 18. And of course, you know, verse one, you, uh, you, you, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, which is your spiritual worship. That's your life now, that the word for spiritual worship has to do with worship in the temple. Someone who worshiped in the temple, worshiped God day and night. They were servants in the temple. They were exclusively given over for that and nothing else. It was like the Levites. And Jesus, God says, I am their inheritance, which means they will work for no land, no property, give them a second to live, but I am their inheritance. That's what's happening in Romans 12, you belong all to God. Mm -hmm. So then you have a struggle in this life. It says in verse 18, if possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, it it doesn't say that when you can no longer live peaceably, go after them. No, when they refuse the peace, you leave. You don't continue to fight. You don't argue. You don't bicker over Facebook. You don't bicker in person. You don't swing a baseball bat across your head. You maintain a peaceable attitude is really what it's saying. Mm -hmm. And then verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Well, here's the opposite, verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, verse 20 is not vengeance. You're overcoming the evil with good is what you're doing, according to verse 20. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, don't let this person's sinful actions suppress you. Mm -hmm. Bring the heat of love. Bring the heat of grace. Bring the heat of mercy. Love them. Serve them. Do good to them because you're living sacrifice. So this is countercultural, completely countercultural. Oh, brother, it's countercultural and counter our own nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It is. Yeah. I uh I appreciate the uh time you've taken to uh speak to me and now uh 
what I'd like for you to do is uh, give us the gospel of Jesus Christ in light of all the things that we've talked about. And now, you know, you saying that and, and showing us that scripture uh, is sufficient um, for for everything, just giving us the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll stay in Romans and talk about Romans because mm-hmm. I think it's a very insightful text of scripture. Obviously, the Apostle Paul didn't plant this church, but he knew some people there. He was on his way to to preach the word of God in other parts. And as he's going to preach the word of God on his way, he wants to stop and speak to the people in Rome. And he says to the believers there that I I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now they're believers there, but he, he wants to preach the gospel to them because the good news is not just for the, the unbeliever. The good news is for the believer. The good news that that Christ came, truly God, truly man, came to this earth, took on, as Philippians 2 says, the form of a slave. That is the lowest position of humanity that you can take. Suffered among us, lived this life, sacrificed so that we may be saved. The Apostle Paul in Romans, as he's planning to minister in other parts, including Spain, he he stops to address a very key doctrine for the church and for all people is, how is it possible for sinners to be right with God? We are, we're sinners and we have a sin nature and that's why we sin. We love our sin. We plan our sin, so we love them. We relish in our sin, that, so we meditate on them so we can do it again. But here's a God that scripture says he can't even dwell tabernacle. He can't hang out with sinners at all, not for one moment. It just seems that we have an impasse. We just cannot be right with God because of that sin nature. But then there's another thing. We will not be right with God because we run from God. You would think that if we need help, uh, we need grace. We do that we'll run to God, but we don't because the scripture outlines that truth that we don't want to be justified initially. We don't want to be cleared righteous as, as treacherous as our sins are, as wicked as we are. It says that we have all turned aside in Romans 3 verse 12. Instead of running to God, we run from God. In verse 15, our feet is swift to shed blood. The way of peace, they have not known or we have not known. Verse 11, we don't seek for God. And it's very clear. And then it says that in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And if you ever thought your deeds could do it for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now you say, well, I'm a pretty morally upright person. I mean, I listen to this podcast because, you know, this is some pretty good stuff. I'm a good person. Well, chapter three says you're not. The other thing too is that every person is, is under the wrath of God. God's wrath abides against us because of our condition of sin. All people, and it 
has to do with the fact that what God has revealed to us, we suppress. In other words, we hold it down. We, we refuse it. We lessen it. And you will say, well, you know, yeah, I believe in the Bible, but you know, I believe in it having a good time. Yeah, I believe in the Bible, but I, I don't see anything wrong with living with my boyfriend and my girlfriend. I mean, we all do it and we love each other. Yeah, I believe in God, but if, if they care for each other, why can't they be together? So it shows right there, as, as you say you believe in God, your words are contrary to the nature of God, who created male and female for marriage, born male, born female for marriage. That living together is an abomination. It is a sin because you're not in covenant in that relationship. So you're both on loan, right? As they say, why buy the cow if the milk is free? Mm -hmm. So no one is sacrificing, no one is offering themselves up in, in the marriage. It's a dishonor to God. The scripture says that we suppress the truth. We modify it. We adjust it. We edit it. You may have found a so-called church where the pre preacher makes you happy, but not holy. His jokes dumb down the truth. He doesn't talk about hell or heaven. You're guilty. You're suppressing it. And you will find a teacher, a preacher, so-called, who will help suppress it with you. So obviously, it's clear. You have a sin problem. You have a sin nature. You're suppressing the truth of God. You cannot be right with God. There's nothing you can do. Well, you can I'll clean myself up this Sunday. I'll go to church. I'll get it right. I've been staying home from COVID. I'm, I'm going to get myself together. You can't. You will not. You cannot because it is not deeds. That's not the problem. It's your heart. You have a heart of sin. You have a nature of sin. That's the guilt. It's a real guilt. It's a real problem. It's a real issue. And there's no escape of it. I can't modify the truth. I can't lessen it. You are on your way to hell in your sin, unless you repent. That's why I have this good news. The Bible says that through Jesus Christ, God's righteousness has been revealed. What does that mean? Well, it means that God is able to declare guilty sinners righteous who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and robe them with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We call that an alien righteousness, which means the righteousness is not in you. It is a righteousness that you're clothed with. You're robed with a righteousness. It is a righteousness not of your own. How can God do that? Well, he does that by crediting, that is imputing the righteousness, putting the righteousness of Christ on your account and your sin, your guilt, the wrath that you deserve, on the cross of Jesus Christ on his account, where the sinless Christ becomes sin for you so that you might become the righteousness, so you might be robed in the righteousness of Christ. That's justification. The way that God saves a sinner is he declares him righteous. And when he acquits you in his court, you'll never be accused. And I love using that phrase. Once God acquits you, you can never be accused by anyone. That's what Romans 8 says. Well, what can separate us? Not even your sin, not even the world, not even trials, not even death can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. As to why we want to make the gospel clear that we want to, you to know that you are guilty, first of all. And the only way the, the burden of guilt is removed is when Christ becomes your righteousness and God sent him to live an absolutely perfect life on this earth, to obey the law of God that you could not obey, and to absorb the full wrath of the Father so that you might be declared righteous by faith. So now the sinner hears the truth of God's word, hears that Christ was sent so that he may be righteous, that Christ was sent to be the propitiation for their sin, the offering for their sin, not only um, 
that God will atone for a sin, but that his wrath may be placated or appeased. All done in Christ. He justifies you as a gift, the scripture says in verse 24 of Romans 3. To the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that Christ has purchased your salvation on the cross. You are redeemed by the grace of God when you turn from your sin, your self-righteousness, your self-absorption, your self-love, your self-care, love of this world, and you turn away from this world and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, acknowledging your sin and saying, God, I am a sinner. I've sinned against you. I violated your law. I am a lawbreaker by nature. I'm a lawbreaker by deeds. I need the law fulfiller. I need a righteousness out of my own. I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as my righteousness. Beautiful. God justifies, he declares righteous, the ungodly sinner who has faith in him. That's the good news that Paul wanted to declare in Romans. He spends, spends almost eight chapters, the first half, more than the first half of this letter, fleshing out what it means to be in the bondage of sin, but freeing the Lord Jesus Christ because God justifies, declares righteous, the sinner who has faith in him. When God saves and cleanses you, you can say like David, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not ever count his sin against him or her. That's, that's glorious. If you're burdened by your sin, the guilt of your sin, it is lifted in Christ, all of it. And your past, present, and future sins, God will not hold it against you because he nailed all of your sin in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you turn from your sin, your wickedness, your evil ways, your adulterous ways, your pornography, your love of pornography, your, your, your love of unfaithfulness, your love of, of living with that partner and you're not saved, he forgives you of the, all of those treacherous sins. If you've committed abortion, he's merciful to forgive you. Turn from your sin. Let him know you've committed that sin. It's an offense against him. And he will graciously give you pardon. He will graciously give you eternal life. And he will justify you. And you will have peace with God for all eternity. That's good news to me. That is why I don't want to preach reparation. I want to preach repentance. Turn from your sin. And be saved. And free from the wrath to come and enjoy the eternal love of the father through the son by the holy spirit for his glory and for your good a ton of amens and amen again thank you pastor i really appreciate you uh giving us uh in in such a a compact say way i would say i know you have more to say about it you could go on a little longer but i appreciate you uh doing that for us and uh thank you all for listening to the truth talks podcast if you wanted to reach out to us please do that by uh dropping us a line at the truth talks podcast at gmail.com you can also leave us a voicemail at 612-88-TRUTH and uh we appreciate you all listening and uh we will see you all next time take care thanks for tuning in today Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast and visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. Amen.
ministry of Belcroft Bible Church.